The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Once again, that's Luke chapter 20, verse 1 through 18. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority. Now Jesus answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed this earnestly one with another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man... All the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants, and then he went into another country for a long while. When the time came... He sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So he sent another servant, but they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed also. So he sent yet a third, and this one they wounded and cast out. So the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, Hey, this is the heir. Let's kill him so the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these tenants and give the vineyard to others. Now when they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Good morning, everyone. I'm going to need your help today. My voice is cutting in and out like a a bad guitar chord going in and out. So let's pray and go before the Lord. Lord Jesus, we just read your word. Your word never changes. Your word never loses its power or authority. Lord, we know you are King of Kings, and we are coming before you now as the living stone who's alive today and who hears us. Lord, our hearts are so easily pulled and pushed in different directions to trust in different things. But help us today, right now, Lord, to push aside anything that wants our hearts, Lord, and give our total devotion to you and to your word. Lord Jesus, help us to see you a new way today. Amen. So today we have entered into a new chapter in our study of King Jesus from the book of Luke. And there is one attribute about Jesus I want to remind us all that we've been learning throughout this book. One attribute. And that attribute is his authority, Jesus' authority. We have seen his authority through his word over creation. 
He was in a boat, remember, and his disciples were going in the sea, and the winds and the waves were crashing on that boat, and it terrified the disciples. And so they come and wake up Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, we're, we're perishing. Don't you care? Don't you want, do you want to help us out here? And Jesus gets up, and with one word, peace be still, creation obeyed him. And the disciples stood back and said, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey his voice? We also saw Jesus' authority in his word over sickness. We saw him heal lepers, right? And the, uh, deadly, deadly disease. And he healed 10 of them with a word. We saw him heal over a long distance where somebody came and said, hey, my servant is sick. And Jesus says, he'll be made well. In that very hour, he said that the servant was made well. We saw his authority over his word or in his word, over bodily disorders. We saw Jesus restore a withered hand in front of our eyes when it wasn't there and then it became there. Or somebody was paralyzed and could not walk. Jesus, with his word, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the person got up and walked. We saw Jesus' authority in his word over demons. The demons were scared of him. And they also asked Jesus for permission to do certain things. And it was by Jesus' authority they obeyed. Remember, they asked Jesus, we have nowhere to go. Let's go into the pigs. And 2,000 pigs later on that day fell into the lake and drowned. We also saw his authority in his word over death. Lazarus, come out. We saw him go to a little town where a widow lost her son. She lost everything. And he touches the casket, and the kid wakes up. So if I present this person to you, would you say this person has authority? He does. He's the king of kings. But what's so interesting, we also see his authority in his teaching. Uh, at the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he was preaching this amazing sermon. And towards the end of the sermon, he says, if you, if you listen to my words and you, and you obey them, you're like a wise master builder who builds his house on the rock. The winds and the waves are going to come and hit that rock, the house, but it will stand. But if you don't do what I say, you're like a foolish builder who builds his house on the sand. The winds wave and the waters rose and the house fall. And look what Matthew writes, Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 through 29. And when he finished these sayings, the crowds were, what? Astonished, it's hard to see, at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The scribes were the ones who were reading the Word of God. Sometimes it would be boring. They would just read it. But they had authority over it, and people respected their authority. And in the Scriptures, we have prophets. And prophets say what? Thus saith the Lord. So they were speaking on authority because God told them to speak. What was different about Jesus? Jesus comes and he says, truly, truly, what? I say to you. We see his authority in his word. 
And so we have Jesus, and today we're going to see his authority challenged by the religious leaders of the city. There are three things I'd like us to see today. I want us to see the challenge about Jesus' authority. I want us to see the warning from Jesus and the cornerstone, who is Jesus. So we have the challenge, the warning from Jesus, the cornerstone, who is Jesus. Excuse me. So last week we saw an amazing entrance into the city, right? God's sovereign, humble king came riding on a donkey. God's sovereign, judging king stopped near the gate and wept over the city and, the, and said that you don't, you've missed the whole point and there will be judgment coming because of that. Then we, see, saw, we saw God's sovereign, overturning king, where he went to the temple and saw what was going on, all the crooked ways they were taking money from the people and taking advantage of them. It drove Jesus, they burnt, it was a fire in Jesus, and he kicked everyone out. And one thing to notice about his authority, they don't come back. It tells you something about the authority of this man. And in this time that he's going, this is Passover week, this is one of the most busiest times of the city where the temple makes the most money because the most people come to make sacrifices because it was Passover. This is where you get right with God. And we are in midweek when we, in our text today. And by Friday, in a couple days from now, Jesus is going to be hanging on a cross. So after clearing the temple, it says that the people were hanging on Jesus' words, but the religious authorities wanted to kill Jesus, but they couldn't. So as the people were hanging on Jesus' words, the religious authorities wanted to find a way to hang him. You see the tension. And so here we are in verse 1. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospels. Just stop right there. Luke doesn't tell us more about what he's teaching because you should already know by now. There's nothing new that he's been preaching here. Ever since back in, in chapter 4 of Luke, look what it says. Remember what Jesus says at the start of his ministry three years earlier. It says, the Spirit of the Lord, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 through 19, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus has been doing this all his ministry. He does miracles, and they're awesome, but there's, the miracles point to Jesus' message, saying, yeah, listen to him. Look at this power that he has. Look at the authority he has over creation and demons and people's bodily function. And then his teaching, you're supposed to be like, oh, wow, if he can do that, then we should really listen to what he says. Another thing about Jesus, he loves his own gospel. He not only purchased us salvation, but he is publishing it to us. He is not hidden and other people come speak on his behalf. He is actually with the people, teaching them and proclaiming the gospel to them. He tells them things like, I've come to save and seek the lost. 
He talked about his death many, many times. He predicted that he was going to rise again many, many times. And so he's there with the people after this wonderful event of him throwing out the tables and kicking everyone out. He's teaching and preaching. And then we get this group, the challengers. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came up and said to him. This word came up really means confronted him. They were so angry they couldn't wait till he was done preaching. That as he was preaching the gospel, he was interrupted by these men. And these men are authorities because of their relationship to the temple. They had a birthright. That's how they got to be a part of the leadership. They went to school. They wear the costumes to indicate what offices they are participating in. And these are considered the religious authorities. If you had a question, if you needed to hear God's voice interpreted, you go to them and you listen to them because that's who they are. So as Jesus is preaching the gospel, he's proclaiming good news, they come up and interrupted him. Hey, you interrupted our week and you, took, you ruined our chances of getting so much money, now we're going to come interrupt you. That's the attitude. And what is their question? Verse to the end. It says, tell us by what, what? Authority you do these things. Or who is it that gave you this authority? I, there are a couple reasons why I think they asked this particular question. Number one, I think the, the, the way they came up, these religious authorities, they came up to Jesus, it was to intimidate him. Notice it wasn't one or two people coming to Jesus to challenge him, or to ask him. Notice also it's not a genuine question. It's a group of people coming to confront Jesus to try to intimidate him, to throw him off his game because he answers things right almost all the time and stumps them. And also I think the reason why that they asked this particular question was like, listen up, people. He's not wearing what we're wearing. Listen up, people. He didn't go to school where I went to school. Yeah, he's, he's uh, charismatic in his uh, dealings, and yeah, he does cool tricks. But who gave him the authority to do it? Because we know God gave us this authority. So it was to intimidate Jesus and to cast doubts on Jesus among the people. Verse 3, I love this so much. Jesus answered them, I, will also, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? This is what I like to call a deadly question. A deadly question. First of all, because the answer is so clear that anybody knew the answer, baptism of John, was it from who? Heaven or man? Heaven. Look at John, look how Luke writes it. Luke chapter 3, verses 2 to 4. What's the first couple words? The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. 
And he went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. You remember in the Old Testament when a prophet, what, what usually happens before they start doing their prophet stuff? Before they start prophesying? What, what, usually, what, what do we usually read in the scriptures? The, the word came unto me. Or the, the word of the Lord came unto me. And they would go then and say, thus saith the Lord. The word of God came to me, thus saith the Lord. Luke is telling us that the word of God came to John. Which is establishing that he's a prophet. That his, that his authority came from heaven. Now here's why I say this is a deadly question. They kind of tell us why. They couldn't answer right away. They had to go huddle in their little uh, corner. And here's why it's deadly. One, if they say from heaven, they have to kill their pride. They have to kill their reputation and say the way I've been living in my life was wrong. So it's death to self. Because the response of Jesus then would be, oh, you, so you do believe in authority from heaven. Why don't you believe him? What was John's message to the people? Do you guys remember? Yes, he's pointing out Jesus. Come be baptized for forgiveness of sins, for one is mightier than I who is coming, of whom I can't even untie his sandal straps. John's mission was to point out Jesus. The way that John describes it is there was a crowd of people, and John is doing baptism, and then he saw a light come down. And John, the writer, tells us that John, uh, that John the Baptist was sent to be a bear witness of the light. Not the true light, the light that came down onto Jesus. And John's purpose was to say, that's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This dude. There was no spotlight back then. So John had to go over and point. And so John in the gospel says, it, that's the, that little action was the reason why you and I believe today. That was John's message. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is our Messiah. This is the one that we've been waiting for. And it happened three years earlier. So if, if they answered the question that everyone knew from heaven, they have to say, we were so wrong. The way I live my life is wrong, my reputation, everything, everything I did, I missed the whole point. And so it would be death to themselves. The second reason why it's death is because if they answered from man, what did they say? They know what's going to happen. But if we say from man, verse 6, what does it say? All the people will what? Stone us to death. Stone us to death. For they are convinced that John was a prophet. And Jesus is standing there. And the Pharisees are standing there and all the people are there. And it's just, how come they're not answering? This is an easy one. My kid can answer this one. Look at these guys. They're sweating. They couldn't do it. Does pride keep you from trusting in Jesus. 
Does your reputation among people, your friends, does it keep you from trusting in Jesus? It's costly, isn't it, to put your trust in Jesus? To say, I'm a Christian? We've seen persecutions grow all around the world and even here in the United States, right? To say you're Je- that you're a Jesus follower? It's costly. You may not hang out with the same group of friends that were friends with you anymore. You may lose your job. You may have to stop working for some, something. I don't know. It's costly. Jesus tells us to count the cost. These guys love their position in life. They've earned it. They worked so hard to get it. And Jesus is saying, throw it away and follow me. Throw it away. So they answered, hey, let's tell him we're agnostics. We don't know. Could be, could not be. We don't know. I thought you knew. I thought you, you guys were the authority from God. Oh, we don't know. You know, I don't know. We're agnostics. <laughs> they suppressed the truth. They choked out the truth. Jesus, by asking this question, is revealing of whether or not they actually believe in heavenly authority or not. Just by asking this simple question, Jesus is revealing that they don't believe in heavenly authority anyway. So that's the challenge. And Jesus wins. So the, so the religious leaders couldn't answer Jesus' question because of two things. I'll just say it again. Pride and fear. Don't let pride and fear stop you from putting your trust in Jesus. We've seen so much. We've heard so much. Enough. Make a decision now. Here's the interesting thing, and it's scary, but this is what the Word says. Jesus responds to them who are choking the truth, who are pushing away. I don't know. I don't want this question. It's too deadly for me. Jesus then turns around and says, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I have nothing more to say to you. You know, it's so amazing that Jesus has his hands open all day long. For the last two years, we've been studying the book of Luke. His hands are open. Come and come and come and come. Come, 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 come. One day he's going to close his hands. I have nothing more to say to you. You've seen what you needed to see. I have given you enough evidences, enough reasons to come to me. To put your trust in me. To bow the knee to me. I am your king. I am the king, whether you believe it or not. Just the same way the sun is the sun, whether I believe it's there or not. So he's done with them. And now he shifts his attention to the people. Okay, that was the challenge. Now we're going to hear a warning from the king of kings. Are you guys ready? Oh, boy. And he began to tell them a story, a parable. A parable is a 
earthly example of a heavenly truth. This is one of the last parables that Jesus is going to give. And he's giving it to them. And this is what he said. A man, a man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. Stop right there. Already the people, their ears are perking up. Ah, Jesus is using a parable about our history. We know who the man is. The man is God. The man is God. Isaiah chapter 5 talks about this and tells us the man is God. And the vineyard, oh, we know who those are. That's, that's us, the people, the people of God. Wow. And the tenants, those are our religious leaders. He's, ta- he's telling a story about us. Okay, come on, guys, listen up. Let's see what he says. Oh, boy. When the time came, let that sit for a moment. When the time came, there will be a time where Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, all that, the, the our, our Holy Trinity is going to come and look for fruit. The payment. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants. All right, who's the servant guy? Can you guys guess? Prophet. Very good. He sent a prophet or a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. What did the, what did the tenants do in the story to the first guy? Beat him. And sent him away empty-handed. Now, as a businessman, what would you do? A businesswoman, what would you do? You have an employee... He's running something for you, and you sent someone there to go. You hired another person to go and collect, and instead of collecting, they beat him up and sent him back to you with nothing. I mean, it would be very easy to be like, hey, uh, call the cops. Like, Let's do this thing. Let's go to the court. I'm suing you now. What are you doing? You can't just beat up somebody. But the man in the vineyard, Jesus is painting a different kind of person. God the Father is patient. Look what he does. And he sent what? Another servant. Another servant. Number two now. But they also beat and they elevated their evilness by one step. They treated him shamefully. Well, now they're getting comfortable. Wow, the man didn't come himself. Let's make fun of this man. Let's beat him up. Let's treat them shamefully. He's not coming. These guys that are coming trying to take some of this, that we're the workers, we're going to have it for ourselves. Uh Uh-uh. Let's beat up every servant that comes. Uh Aha, you ain't getting anything. Right? Sent them away empty-handed. Again, God's patience. He set a third prophet. Now, this is not particular like Isaiah, Jeremiah. It's not like that. The idea is is that God has been sending prophets, and every prophet that was sent to the people of Israel, those people rejected and killed even, and because they didn't want anything like that for themselves. They didn't want no prophet. They didn't believe the prophet. Even though they say in later generations, oh, we're not like our parents. We won't kill the prophets. We love the prophets. 
right? I'll keep going. The third prophet, they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I've done almost everything I could do. Not all, did I, I just I built a vineyard. I took out all its stones. I made the ground really nice. I put some plants in. I put a wine press. I put a watchtower. I hired people. And I'm not getting anything. And anytime I send someone to these tenants, maybe they don't trust these men, these servants that I'm hiring. Maybe they think that the servants are going to take the inheritance or is anything, any payment for themselves. Maybe. You know what I will do? And Jesus now identifies himself and answers the question to the, Pharise- to, the, uh, to the religious leaders. What does the man do of the vineyard say? I will send what? My beloved son. Perhaps, maybe, they will respect him. Look what happened. When the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, what? What did, what did the tenants say when they saw this son coming? This is the heir. They were able to identify the heir. The religious leaders knew who Jesus is. Jesus is saying, you know who I am. Let's not play games. Jesus doesn't play games. In this parable, he's telling them, you know who I am. And then he takes it a step further and reveals their attitude towards him. Well, what happens? They say, this is the heir. What, what, what does the tenant say in the story? Let us what? Kill him. Jesus is predicting his own death. He's revealing, he's showing, he's taking their hearts out, these religious leaders. He takes their heart out and puts it on like a stand and for everyone to see. This is what they want to do. They want to kill me. And not only that, so that the inheritance may be ours. We, we deserve this land. We're going to keep it for ourselves and we're going to do things the way I want to do it. I don't need an authority over me. I am the authority. This is the attitude that they're having. And if anyone thinks that they're just going to come in here and take the authority away from us, we're going to kill him. This is an attitude of a prideful heart. Remember, it's easy to keep Jesus as a good teacher. But king? But king? Can you do it? If he asks you to do something... Is he king or is he just a good teacher? Maybe I'll take his advice, maybe. So he's exposing their hearts, these religious leaders. What will the owner of the vineyard do to them? So he's using this parable to warn because look, look, listen. If I hire someone to go collect for my business and that person gets beat up and come back, that sucks, and that's evil, and that's, that shouldn't happen, and I'll try everything to make sure this person is taken care of. But if it's my son, 
Can you feel it with me? If I send my son to go and collect and then he gets killed by these guys? Jesus takes a step back and he gives the, the question, what do you think? In our, on all our imperfections, sometimes we don't know how to regulate our wrath or our anger or our patience or our kindness. Or we, we're kind of imperfect in that way, but God is perfect. And we have offended him. And Jesus is saying, what do you think he's going to do? And Luke tells us, Jesus tells us, he will come and what? Say it louder, please. He will destroy. Destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, it's not just hearing. When they understood what Jesus was saying and they heard his authority over what's going to happen, they said, surely not. Or in Greek, megenata means no, 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 heaven forbid, surely not. There's no way that that's going to happen. Again, you have a clash of authorities. Jesus said something was going to happen. They're saying no. No way. And in the text it says, but he looked directly at them. Ooh. He looked directly at them. And Jesus asked them a question. They're scribes, right? And he goes, okay, well, tell me, what, what was this that was written? And, he's, and then he's now quoting from Psalm 118. Psalm 118. And he says, Tell me, what was this written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. When builders want to build something, they examine the materials. And when a material doesn't meet their expectation, they put it to the side. They don't use it. They don't want it. They want the thing that's going to that meet their expectation. And in Psalm 118, there's a story about King David who God anointed to be king. But as he's going up to be the king, he's met with so many opposition and hatred. And a lot, it's so hard for him to go to his position, although God anointed him to be king. He was rejected. But in the Psalms, it's saying that God is making him the cornerstone. And so Jesus is saying, that psalm is not about David, ultimately. It's about me. I am the cornerstone. And then Jesus says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So how you respond to this stone determines your judgment. But we only see one kind of response. The response here is somebody who is not sure about Jesus. The we don't know attitude. Jesus is saying that person is going to be broken to pieces. And then he says when the stone falls, 
when the owner of the vineyard comes, that stone is going to grind him to powder in other translations. So what's another response to the, like how else should we react to this stone, Jesus? Let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter tells us. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and on. It says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by who? A man. But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being what? So who's doing the building up here? God is. And so you're not stumbling over a stone. Rather, you are being put on the stone. As a what? Spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will what? So there's two ways to react to this cornerstone. Either you trip over him, and then you tripping, the stone is going to, I almost tripped, then the stone will come and crush you. Or you are being built on to Jesus. You're becoming a spiritual house. You're offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, the temple was, they weren't really offering sacrifices that were acceptable to God because they were all wrong about who the cornerstone is. They were building their whole idea on themselves and their perception and their own authority. And Jesus is saying, none of that anymore. It's me. It's me. I am the cornerstone. I am the most important stone to what God is doing. So either in this cornerstone that was precious to God, it's precious because Jesus lived a life that was pleasing to God. He did all the things that made God happy with him. He was righteous. He obeyed God. He trusted his Father having absolute authority. He never disobeyed his father. He never questioned his father's authority. And then Jesus goes to the cross, and on Friday we're going to see him hanging there. In the next couple weeks from now. But we see him hanging there, paying for getting crushed by the father as if he lived our sinful life. Or all the times that we said, God, you know, you're not enough. Or, you know, I know you said that, God, but I'm going to do it my way. Or all the times that we've acted like that, Jesus is paying for them on the cross. The cornerstone that will crush has been crushed by God. 
Isaiah chapter 53, when talking about the suffering servant, it was the will of the Lord to crush him, his own son. This is so amazing, hard to fathom. And in three days, we see Jesus rising from the dead, again showing his authority over his own death and resurrection. I can't do that. So we saw, we saw, we know, okay, we, we've seen Jesus and his authority. We've seen the challenged. We, we heard the warning. The warning is God is coming. There will be judgment. Either you're on the cornerstone or you're not. And we saw Jesus as the cornerstone. He was the one that is chosen by God and he's doing everything through. It's Jesus. I guess my question is, will you come to him? And for those who are in him, praise be to God. Stay on him. He's going to keep you there. But rejoice in, in that. Rejoice that you are in Christ, the cornerstone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the cornerstone, you are the rock. You're not easily moved, you don't change. You are the plan of God for us, a salvation for us. You are a redeemer. You went to the cross and you were crushed for our sins so that if we believe you and trust you and put you as our king, that we will be built on you. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, that this would be a reality in our lives. Lord, help us not to count things more worthy than you or count things in more authority over you. Help me, help my brothers and sisters, Lord, to not have our hearts waver from here to there, but to be so steadfast and so sure about your authority in our life and in our words, our interactions, and everything that we do. Because ultimately, Lord, we want to bring you glory. We want to bring you praise. And we do not want to be put to shame. We thank you for your word that's given to us. We pray, Lord, that it would be imprinted on our hearts and minds. And be with us as we continue to worship. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.